Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Freight Waves podcast. Today, we have Tim Dooner in our studio, uh, fresh from a trip to Ohio, where he was looking into the collapse and demise of Falcon Transport. Um, It was a horrendous situation. Truckers were driving down the road. They got text messages saying, don't bother coming back. Their fuel cards were turned off. Their paychecks didn't clear. They were stranded in many cases with a truck full of whatever, uh, no place to go, thousands of miles from home. So we dispatched Tim Dooner to investigate this issue and figure out what happened. And and we have some some early information. We've we've found that uh, you know former we have multiple former Falcon executives alleging that you know financial mismanagement and a poorly negotiated contract with General Motors ultimately led to the company's abrupt closure on April 27th. But it wasn't that simple. It wasn't that simple. And that's what Tim found out. Uh, when he headed to Ohio. So, Tim, tell us a little headline here. What did you find out uh, during your trip? Well, Ellis, as you know, I just landed back here in Chattanooga. It's been a whirlwind trip, right? I mean, it hit the ground running there, and then I hit the ground running here. And just to give you a little background, Ellis is the editor here, and it's one of the reasons that we're having this conversation is he'd reached out to me on Monday night around 10 o'clock, right, Ellis? It was late. It was late, uh, and things started unraveling. We started getting pictures of text messages. Uh, truck drivers started putting up YouTube videos talking about what was going on, and we realized this was big. Yeah, we had the one that's that's been reported. Um, a lot of names in the story are going to be changed to protect the innocent, and there's still a lot of fact-checking we have to do, right, Ellis? I mean, a lot of stuff has come out, and we'll, we'll take you through it, but this is the message from uh, Jason Calhoun. It said, all Falcon employees, we regret to inform you that Falcon Transport Company is not able to continue operations and will be shutting down effective today. They received this on a Saturday, right? At 7.56 p.m. Please stop any work you're doing for the company immediately. You are not expected to return to work. Please be on the lookout for further information we will be sending regarding the situation. So at that point, there's no story, right? The story is what we hear. And the story that I think we reported is... This, this is terrible because there's truckers stuck on the side of the road. And we are a, you know, we're a transportation country. We are a transportation company. We have people here that are multi-generational in the business. So I think that when a situation like this happens, it's great to see the industry band together. And, and we're a great voice in that. And, but we needed more coverage, right? Because, like, the initial reports, and I think even our initial story, kind of had a few assumptions. Because if people are not familiar in Lordstown... There was the big GM shutdown, right, Ellis? Absolutely, yeah. That was a that was another huge. I think that was thousand more than a thousand. I don't know how many thousands, but I believe it was somewhere around fourteen hundred. Uh, does that sound right? People lost their jobs there. I mean, it has to be, and I'll get into it when I tell you guys the story of, of kind of like what happened while I was out there. But I did visit the GM factory, and this place was massive, Ellis. I mean, it looked like the kind of place you could like. You could film a horror movie. I mean, it's weird. It's like the fall of a Roman empire when you're in a building that's like that big and new. And there's a lot of irony. There's a lot of corporate irony. There's a big picture of like a Chevy Cruze and it says like, the future starts here. And you and you go inside the building or maybe you don't. I don't know. I don't know how much I can say uh, um, on this special report. But uh, I look through the windows maybe and you can see that there are like pictures. They're very happy. It was a very happy time. It seemed around 2014. I think they got an injection of... 25 maybe it was 50 million but when you walk in the lobby there they have all these posters on the walls and they have awards and you can see the charging stations for the crews so it was kind of a natural assumption that well this is a huge manufacturer uh valken is a flatbed trucker right so it almost stood to reason that that would be a major cause for the demise of the company so we knew two things going into monday night we knew they shut down 
We knew that there were drivers stranded. And we knew that there was some type of story there. We just didn't know what yet, right? Correct. I mean, we uh, typically, there's a lot of, when, it, when a company does layoffs, uh, you know, depending on how many there are, they're typically required to file something called a WARN Act. That's W-A-R-N. And what that does is it's a little letter that they send to the government, the state government generally, saying, hey, we're going to lay off a lot of people. So if you want to start mobilizing the the your guys so that you can get them back to work, so that you can get them retrained or whatever, here you go. It's designed to give a little advance notice. We I, we looked on the website. We did not find any WARN Act for... Uh, um, uh, we went to the Department of State uh, in Ohio, and we could not find a Warren Act for Falcon Transport. So we were even even with the text message coming out to truckers, we thought, well, is it really going on? Is it really happening? And we had a great reporter, uh, Clarissa Hawes, who was able to get that confirmed that that they were in fact shutting down. And as this story, so that was day one. Day two, of course, another story. We're finding out more stuff. And I want to skip ahead because then day three, or the evening of day two, rather, we said we've got to get down there because there's multiples, like you said. You have uh, this isn't the first shutdown of a of a transportation business that's happened because of the GM plant. When a plant shuts down, you've got suppliers, you've got the people who are who are running the just in time uh, shipments of headlights or exhaust valves or engine parts in there. So that they, the moment they come in the door, they can go onto the car. All these bits and pieces that radiate out, all the success that radiates out from a manufacturing plant collapses in, in its wake when it dies. And so we, we could tell that there was a lot going on. This was a community that had been hurt in a number of ways, and I'm sure looking for answers. And so in terms of answers, you let's let's walk through it. You land in the airport. I mean, what did you see? Well, you know, because it had been so late at night, it was 10 o'clock and I booked the first flight in, I had no leads. I had nowhere really to go. I know on social media there had been some Falcon employees who had mentioned what had going on, so that was a great starting point. And to me, since it was since that was occurring on social media, it seemed kind of natural to just, when I landed there, the first thing I did was record a video of myself and say, hey, Falcon employees, I am here in Akron. I'm jumping in my car right now. I'll be there in an hour. So if people want to talk to me, Freightways is going to come down and find out the story on or off the record. And uh, by the time I got to, and it's only like an hour away, by the time I got to Youngstown, and by the time I drove up on Falcon property, the messages were already coming in. There were, there were employees that were very, very willing to talk. However, none of them really wanted to be on the record. And I, didn't, I wasn't really sure why. And the first thing I did is I set up a meeting with a few of them the next day, it was supposed to happen at a Panera at 1 p.m. It was pouring rain out there. And I don't know if you've been to Akron. It's a, um, when I was landing there, because we're, we're in Tennessee. And Tennessee is like in full bloom spring. It's super lush out here. And then you land in Akron. And there was still foliage going on, Ellis. And it was overcast. And it was, it was weird. Like, and yeah, because- the, the photos you sent, it looks like Chernobyl or something like that. I mean, it's like, is this the same country? It's just a little ways to the north. But yeah, something, it's just not thriving right now. You know, and, and that was like, so one of the reasons I went is there's a lot of misconceptions you're going to have. And I was expecting to arrive in a much different and much more downtrodden and beaten downtown. And I'll tell you what, the people there are very proud people. But that first day, because I'm trying to come up with leads, I'm trying to find the story, I wanted to set the scene, I wanted to get the sights and sounds, and what is this area really like? Because when you read an article, there's a lot of, a, I guess, projection, right? Like I do it, when, when, I, when it goes through my head, I usually visualize it, and I'm picturing Detroit or something, and like a lot of Browns fans, you know, like crying or like being excited about old Dale Beckham. And uh, that is not 
how it really was at all. So Falcon over there, the place is basically abandoned. And I, I, it was easy to find. You have GPS now. I, I rolled right up on it. There was a groundskeeper there. And I was like, okay, great. So I go over and I talk to him and I was like, is anybody here with inside the building? He said, probably not. And we noticed something. And this might be a theme that comes through here. But Falcon, there's also a sister company. That's right. That's called Comprehensive Logistics. And they did file a Warren Act, I believe, earlier this year and did a, did a major layoff, we found, when we were looking at the original Falcon story. Okay, because they look like they're still in operation from, from what I was seeing. And a lady came to the door and she said to me, yeah, it's a bad situation. I do not work for Falcon. They are not here. And that was it. And I was like, great, so I'll just take some pictures of this. I'll send it back to my editors and then I'm going to go over to Lordstown because... You know, this is the first part of lead, but we were thinking at the time that GM was a huge component to this story. So I wanted to find out what the verve and the vibe was in Lordstown. So I drove over there and along the way, I actually passed the union. So I stopped over at the union hall to see if I could talk to anybody. They told me to come back the next day. And uh, well, then the GM factory is right there, Ellis. And um, well, you know, since it's abandoned, it wasn't too hard to get on the lot. So I went to look around and see really what was happening. And when you go over there, there's signs, and I think we're going to post pictures, and there may be some in the article that was just published on FreightWaves.com. I know I've put them up in social media, but people have made, like, handmade signs, and it says, save our plant. Oh, wow. It's actually a GM thing. And then I came across another one, and I walked through the mud on this, man. My sneakers were, like, super dirty. You, know, like, you were no, wet, I, you were tired, you were cold, slogging through I, the I, mud. I, I did, because I was like, at, the, at that point, too, you're like, man, I have nothing yet. I have nothing to go for. I've got to go take a picture of the Save Our Plant sign. Then I drove down the street, and there's another sign that says Save Our Plant, and it's, it's in front of a sign. This is when things, like, the real irony of that building started to show to me. And it was, like, dedicated to the greatest plant in the world, wow. GM Lordstown. And then you go through there through the gate. They have no security anymore. There are random workers who walk back and forth. And I think I sent you that, that video where I was trying to talk to some of them. And it was like, you know, everything was locked down. But it looked, like an, it, it looked like that horror movie. It looked like an abandoned place. Then I looked out. I saw a guy walking out there. And I said, hey, I'm out here to cover the story. I was trying. We heard that Falcon closed. And I was trying to see if GM had some sort of impact on that. And he said, well, I don't know, man. You got to go talk to Mary in some other building. I got lost looking for Mary, and I end up circling around the whole building. And this thing is huge. It's, it's a massive—I mean, it's a real gigantic plant. I don't know how many cars they produced, but there was definitely a ton of industry it supported. So at the time, too, this, it doesn't seem like the story's changing here. So I, I was like, you know what? When in doubt, go to the, 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 the closest local dive bar you can find Smart. and start talking to some locals. And uh, I, almost got my, I almost got my ass kicked, Ellis. Because it's a, it's a tough nerve there. It's, it, the, 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 the nerves are raw. Yeah. And it's a proud town. And they don't want to be considered pitiable or beaten down. They just want another car man, manufacturer to come in there and open it up. And there actually is a car hauler called, I think it was called Cassins, right across the street. And I'm like, okay, these guys must have some information because, well, they're car haulers. And if a car company goes away, you're probably screwed. And this is where I started to notice this theme of pride there. And they were like, they refused to admit GM had anything to do with them losing business, they're like, no, it wasn't a great account to begin with. They really squeezed us. And, uh, and again, these are opinions. I want to put a disclaimer. These are just things that I heard going out in the community. But I was hearing this theme that GM was being very predatory to a lot of their partners in that community. And I don't know. When you hear things enough times, it makes you get... And we know how freight is pulled. And, and with big accounts, right? I mean... 
They, they, There's they, leverage, right? There's yeah. leverage. It's I'm I'm the biggest game in town, and this is how you know this is, it, it, shippers do it when times are good for shippers, right? And carriers do it when times are good for uh, for carriers, where you know whoever has the leverage gets to extract additional money for their services. And so GM is saying, look, you're a car hauler. We're, as we look around, we're the only ones hauling cars here. So if you want our if you want our business. This is what it's going to cost you to keep your trucks full. And as we know, a truck is only making money when it's full and when it's running. So if the option is between taking a dollar ten and when you'd rather have a dollar fifty, but at least you've got something, or just sitting around and waiting for someone else, some other GM plant in town to give you money, you know, you're going to take the dollar ten. Not a good situation, and absolutely, GM was using its leverage. But um, but you, you raise a good point. You know, in other words. There, there was some prosperity, but GM certainly wasn't playing the fool, right? They weren't just no. they weren't just throwing off money everywhere they went. They were they were definitely trying to be uh, savvy and extract as much as they could out of out of the locals. Yeah, and you know, and at that point, I looked around there. I, I saw that Falcon was nothing there, and I was about to call you and be like, Ellis, I think we're just going to change the flight to come home tomorrow. There's nothing really going on here. It is a story that we told. We got some great pictures for an article and all of that. I talked to some geese, like just to like humor myself, because I was starting to get so despondent. And I saw there's a, a video of that, right? Yeah, You're saw, talking I, to the geese. I, I, I put that online. I don't know. I will. I'll put it online. With it. I saw two Canadian geese walking by, and there's another one. And I was like, "How did the how did the plant shut down affect you?" And then I saw another one. They, I was like, "You got a family." She's waddling. <laughs> she's waddling. There's a lot of Canadian geese, and they can get aggressive too. So I was a little bit scared. Yes. They were they were a little bit more aggressive than the uh, the random three like Keystone cop security guards that GM. Had, uh, no geese. Geese are vicious, man. If they don't get you with their beaks, they're 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 they will beat you with their wings. They're unbelievably vicious. So you were wise to be uh, yeah. you know, standoffish there and keep your distance. And if you're a Falcon employee, you, you know I'm there, and you, and you remember the day because right in that point of mid afternoon, the clouds cleared. It was pouring rain. If you look at my pictures at GM, they're soaked, man. It looks really, really depressing. It looks like like a dead factory. But then like the clouds lifted, and I think that. That video I had put on LinkedIn at this point had gotten up to almost 10,000 views. And, and the, the C-level executives, the former ones, started to realize that, okay, this guy's really here. He's really willing to come talk to people. You know, he's not a reporter in a suit. I'm a pretty down-to-earth guy. I'm, I'm maybe even too fiery to a fault. Uh, you, you may agree with that one, Ellis. But hey, You're passionate. You're passionate and enthusiastic, and that counts for a lot. Yeah, and I mean, that's really where the nut started to crack open. And... Um, and again, we have to protect some people here because what we have heard. Well, can we can we jump into that? Yes. So, because because let me let me summarize your visit so far. You're you're looking for answers, right? You're uh, you go to Falcon, nothing's going on there. You go to Lordstown, and you realize the impact this uh, this GM plant must have had. Um, meanwhile, as you're talking to people, there's this undercurrent of they don't want to say anything. They don't want to say anything. Let, I want to I want to fast forward and then maybe rewind back to this point again, but talk a little bit about where that fear was coming from as much as you can without, you know. Well, so the fear that came from that, and I, I almost knew it would be a challenge. I was just happy people were starting to talk, though, and I was getting a lot of contacts. And one of the former C-level execs, it sounded like he got burned pretty bad during the capital deal or at the end of the capital deal. And uh, he was really willing to talk, and he was really willing to give me the leads that I needed to do to advance this story. And my God, Ellis, it is nothing. I mean, it has something to do with GM. But it's such a small component of this story. And the story here that we're going to talk about has to do with, I mean, it's a deep rabbit hole, but it has to do with 
not just Falcon, but maybe the whole industry because maybe mismanagement might be a good word is is what some people were. I would say you know in the, in the stories there are a lot of assumptions. I think like as people we try to gravitate and we try to just find that one thing to hang our hat on, and this turns out to be a very complex story that involves a multi generational family. It involves a capital group that didn't know what they're doing. It involves a CEO who seemed to be making all the wrong moves, according to sources, uh, in, including outsourcing a third shift to Columbia, which, um, which one of the guys was talking to, he just couldn't get over it. He's like, I have never heard of a third shift being outsourced to Columbia. There must be... So some- wait, were they actually located in Columbia? Well, it turns out, and again, and again, disclaimer, as I said, this is all according to sources. We're still verifying and fact-checking, but according to sources, he had a girlfriend out there, and... And the country of Colombia. In the country of Colombia, he had a girlfriend okay. out there, and he decided to outsource their third shift and potentially their IT. So their third shift, so they're hauling things in Ohio. Yeah. Colombia is pretty far south of Ohio. Yeah. It's a different, uh, uh, different, different area. Completely yeah. South America versus North America, where where Ohio is located. Different right? language. So, what are you? Are they driving up to Ohio, or how does that work exactly? Well, they were doing like the third shift dispatch out of Columbia. Okay. So they're having people that don't speak English talking to like truckers on the road and trying to organize freight. And obviously, it yeah, how'd that to, work? Well, you know, I, I, that's what I asked, and I asked in one of my interviews. I'm like, you guys have a part of this big VC deal, and I, I don't know if you guys know, this, but this, so this venture capital group came in. This this family called the Constantinetti's owned. Falcon. And Falcon was one of the largest flatbed carriers in the country, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, it was it was pretty big. Uh, and, and and yeah, absolutely. They, they owned it for four generations. Um, and 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 according to uh, according to the story that uh, as we're recording, this is is going up on the Internet uh, and will have already been up by the time you hear this. Um, they actually had to pay the private equity group that bought the millions of dollars to buy the company the only the reason they had to do that was the only other option was to shut the place down that's how that's how poorly they were doing according to this story yeah and you know and there's a lot to the story cuz it was taking its life on a life of its own in a lot of different layers and a lot of different levels and something really cool happened too a lot of carriers reached out and giant companies like FedEx and, and JB Hunt world class organizations and smaller carriers to extend jobs to to these falcons so that was one of the reasons that I want to talk to just the operations people out there, the, the, the lower level operations people, because they need jobs, you know, so do the drivers, but it's a tough market for ops people, especially with a place they could have gone to, like GM not being there. So maybe GM didn't have a big component of hurting this company, because from what these guys were saying, it's a very, it was a very bad account. They were telling me about like a 30 mile haul that GM punished them with $80,000. And that's where the story emerges, and like something that goes. In the so story. wait, what does that mean? They did a thirty-mile haul, and GM punished them with eighty thousand dollars. What do you mean by that? Uh, be- because it was it was late or it was delayed. Um, it was coming. Uh, so out- GM said you have to pay us eighty thousand yes. dollars because you you did not execute this thirty-mile haul. Yeah, you, I mean, you know how like chargebacks work. If you yeah. have a partner like a, like a Walmart, I mean, your contract it has to be delivered during certain windows, and if it's not, you can get penalized X amount. The company agreed that it was their fault. But in a partnership, you're really – I mean, you're, you're bleeding your own partner to death. That's yeah. part of that community. Well, this is one of the things – you know, we started reporting on this, um, not this particular thing, but we this is a practice that sh- once shippers are in the driver's seat, as they have been uh, basically since the beginning of the year, they start extracting concessions, especially if you're doing just-in-time manufacturing, right? So if you're saying, I've got an entire assembly line, I've got 1,400, 1,500 people who are working, and if I don't get my – engine blocks my my four cylinder engine blocks delivered at 4:32 p.m. 
Uh, I need 20 at 432, and then I need 20 more at 532. And if that doesn't happen, you got 15,000 people standing around with their thumbs in their pockets wondering what to do next, right? So normally, you're right. Shippers, it's when, when, when there is more, let's call it equity, in the market, you, you tend to see a more of a partnership base. But as you see that outbound tender rejection index uh, fall, putting the ball in the shipper's court, Absolutely. That's something you're, you're going to see at the GM plant. You're going to see it. I'm sure there's stories like that all over America right now. Well, yeah. And when I was talking to the C-levels, we obviously still had that idea that GM was really bigly at fault with all of that had happened there. And the guys there that told me, the guys who had been there for many years were like, you know what? Every time we dealt with GM, they didn't give an F all about their supply chain. Every time, every two years, that entire suite of supply chain professionals would move up because it was considered a stepping stone. Uh, it wasn't really... They weren't in it for the long haul, so to Exactly, speak. To, yeah. to have a pun. And uh, and, the, and the practices there is kind of what drove uh, the CEO at the time, Mark Constanetti, to look at getting into a private equity situation. A lot of the guys, the C guys at the time, they what they told me is they had been talking. They were about to leave in January of uh, 2017. And that is when this private equity came in and they started working on, I guess, the deal with the devil. So let's let's we're talking about this private equity deal. Let's let's uh, explain the, uh, uh, the the series of events that that happened there. Yeah. Counterpoint um, is the private equity group. Yes. Let's let's just to kind of because we're kind of we're kind of going back and forth a little bit. Um, and, and so Falcon was doing poorly. Right, it wasn't things weren't going great for them, and so they sought. And there were there were a number of deals, I believe, with the private equity group, weren't they? Uh, there was there they did a cash infusion, I believe, at one point. Um, yeah, you know, so- a loan, we'll call it a loan, and then eventually they were fully taken over uh, by the private equity equity well, group, which happened later. No, you know, it reminded me of like when um, when the Broncos paid basically the Texans to take Brock Osweiler. Like they, this was a zero cash transfer deal. What was supposed to happen was the private equity group was supposed to pay off debt, and pretty soon, so these guys stayed. So Mark, these guys convinced Mark was going to leave the company. The C guys were going to stay. They were going to just work on this deal with the private equity group. They were going to take over Falcon and and bring it up to the next level and into greatness. And then it all started to fall apart, and it was one of those things where like things just kept going wrong. Wrong move after wrong move after wrong move. And let me give an example of that uh, from the story. So, you know, uh, one former executive uh, recounted, uh, you know, the counterpoint um, when it bought Falcon, you know, which is struggling against GM here, and counterpoint received millions of dollars in concessions. You know, essentially they restructured. They said, look, GM, we're taking over Falcon. It's been a rough patch. We're going to need you to give us some grace here while we get our operations in order. So GM said, okay. All right, we get that. We'll keep doing business with you. We'll give you some concessions. And so the people at counter uh, people at Falcon are thinking, all right, all this cash now is you know is is in play. We can pay off our vendors. We can pay our other expenses. But with, that never happened, well, right? Within a month, within a month, the you know the guys who have money there were like, vendors are coming after us and saying we're missing our thirty day windows. So they were carrying debt, but but they were still able to pay their vendors. They were just racking up debts with the banks. Right. That's what the guys were supposed to clear. So these guys not only didn't clear the debt, but then they stopped paying the vendors themselves. 
And I'm not sure. Which you've got to have to run a business. You got to have vendors. You know, we we have vendors yeah. here at Freight Waves. You know, we got people who come in and and clean for us and take the trash out and and you know fix our stuff and and do maintenance on our coffee machines, whatever, and probably our fancy drinking water machine. And if we stop paying them, things are going to get kind of dicey around here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and and that's where things started to fall apart. And they brought in a guy named Chris Broussard. Full disclosure, again, we were not able to talk to Mark Rossi from uh, CounterPoint. I was not able to get him on the phone. We did reach out to him. We made attempts. I made attempts to reach out to Chris Broussard. Now, Mark Rossi is who? Mark Rossi is uh, one of the principals at CounterPoint. And then Chris Broussard is? Chris Broussard is the CEO who was appointed after Mark Constanetti left. And one of the reasons— So he was appointed by CounterPoint to run Falcon, correct? Basically, yeah. Right. So they brought him in to run CounterPoint. And then the first thing he did to a company in debt was buy new furniture for the office, according to sources. Yeah, new furniture. You know, spruce yeah. the place up, get everybody feeling uh, good about things again. Yeah. So, the, I mean, this was like new money winning the lottery kind of thing where we're like, I'm going to oh, get so a recliner. I'm going to get a lazy yeah. boy with a fridge in it. Yeah. And then next thing you know, then then money visibility starts to change. And But before that happened, there was kind of some dealings on here because something that came to light also was, and you're not going to believe this, else. Every good internet story, and this is a story that was kind of bred on the internet with an internet component, involves cats. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I didn't think Cats. it. And Craig thought I was lying on Slack when I was like, I got to go. It's really hot outside. I got to go check out this lead about a cat shelter. It's a cat lead. Well, yeah, dude, I'm thinking like... Our I'm, cat reporter on the ground, Tim Dooner. <laughs> I am thinking that the cat shelter is on the Falcon property, which I had driven by. And I'm like, oh, there's no one there. Maybe there's a bunch of dead cats. <laughs> you know and so this got you out of your hotel room to go see these well, dead cats I, no i never got somebody i see and i see i have like a uh grungy motel like fetish so i only stay in things like the roadway in yes yeah uh, i just love them i like when you just like walk out the door if there's not the stains on the walls you're not staying there yeah and like cigarette burns in the mattress yeah. and it's a non-smoking room and yeah I mean, <laughs> there's no rules in those kind of places so you took off in search of cats yes and, and when i got there because i what i'd heard is that mark constantetti he had gotten fired by the C-suite that was brokering this deal because he had been using this cat shelter to hire people. So Constantinetti was the family that sold yeah, Falcon Constantin- to the group. Yeah, Constantinetti was fourth generation. So they there. fired the last family member over this cat thing? Well, because well, they sold it, and I think they were looking for a reason. I think that Mark had tried to fire some of the other guys, and Mark had tried to pull his stroke. And from really what it sounded like, maybe Mark... I don't, I'm not going to say Mark's a terrible guy. I think maybe he wanted to run a cat shelter more than he wanted to run a transport company. Not all of us like to work with our father. They both right? have their pluses and minuses. I mean, I love my dad, but like there are times like we've gone sailing before, and it's a wonder like neither of us, one of us wasn't swimming home on the way back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or one of you became the anchor. Yeah, and, and so, you know the guy's fourth generation, and maybe he just didn't want to do this role, and his passion was this cat shelter. And I got there, and I kind of believe that aspect of it because I met the employees, and I met the cats, and they were they were super helpful. They were very friendly. The cats looked very, very healthy and well taken care of. And there were some really nice people there, a few of which were volunteers that were laid off from GM. Yeah, you have uh, you and Clarissa, the story that you guys worked on. Uh, it says two sources claim that several employees who worked at this Falcon Animal Rescue, uh, this no kill shelter that uh, you're referring to, were actually on Falcon's payroll listed as recruiters so maybe they were looking for recruiting cats for cats to ride around in the uh in the flatbeds well i don't know but i gotta tell you guys too if you're interested in cats i mean the the falcon name is uh you know maybe divorced from from the the, the family now because it's dead and the, and the private equity group killed it but i mean to me as an animal lover it was a bit of a silver lining to see that 
At least for that family, the name can kind of live on as this no-kill cat shelter, which is something a little bit more positive. And by the way, guys, that, that shelter's full, so if, you, if you're looking for a cat or a kitten, go check out the, the Falcon Animal Shelter. But then, like, so that sends me in a whole new direction. I'm like, wait a second. So if money was being hidden at this point before the transfer even happened, it came up during due diligence, what happened during the transfer? And that's where the finance guys were like, well, this guy, Broussard, came in, and he almost immediately starts outsourcing things to Columbia. Bought new furniture. Bought new furniture. Colombian uh, dispatchers. And it sounds to me like, and, and again, not allegations is what people are saying, but they lost visibility of cash flow when Columbia came into the picture. And what's interesting, uh, you know, again, sort of going back to, to, to what we know, you know, we had several uh, sources um, who said that fuel cards would be shut off at times because Falcon had exceeded its credit limit. Uh, we, we had people who talk about, you know, office personnel having to use their credit cards to pay the company's easy pass bill or, or buy office supplies. Uh, now, they were later, to be clear, they were later reimbursed by the company. But, you know, using your personal credit card uh, just to help the company do normal business stuff is normally not a sign that that all is well. No, no, it, it absolutely isn't. And then... And then I think the cracks really started to show within the organization. Um, should we read the WARN Act that they sent out to the Texas team? Do you want to read well, that? Do you have a copy of that? Uh, there's a copy. There's a copy somewhere. If you have a copy, you can. Now, now to Do you be, want me to summarize it? We don't. We don't. This this WARN Act, uh, we weren't able to actually find it. Uh, I mean, this it, was sent to an employee. I got it verified it was, by three different employees. Employees say this is legitimate. Just like you know, this is the same thing we had when the company was shut down. We had employees telling us a lot of stuff, but getting official confirmation is always hard. So just know that this is not something that we have gotten through the Texas website. This has allegedly been sent to uh, the state of Texas. And uh, yeah, I mean, it says it was in, in uh, CC is uh, Mayor Mario Vasquez. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to call his office. Texas Workforce Commission is also on here. This letter is dated April 27, 2019. But it seems to me like when employees received it may have actually just been yesterday, which was May 1st. So I'm not sure what's going on there. If you guys don't know, the WARN Act is a protective measure for workers, right? If you're a certain size company, you have to give 60 days notice. So this is, and there's two sides, there's multiple sides to every story, but this is their side. They sent a letter that says... All right, back up. Yeah. Time out. Um, it is now on the Texas website. It is now on the Texas website. Yeah, it says Dallas, in Dallas County, um, Falcon Transport Company, total layoffs. It looks like 20, 30, um, 19, there's two. There's Falcon Transport Co. and then Falcon Transport Co. Cedar Hill. So yeah. Uh, anyway, you can edit edit out everything I just said about not having it on the Texas website. Well, no, I mean, we're, this is a story that's developing in real time, Ellis. I mean, as we've gone through this thing, and this is why it was it, it took a little while to get this out, is because things keep coming up. And this story just keeps getting weirder and weirder. But here is what they sent to employees. And, I, and I'm not sure if they sent something else, because some of the ones I was supposed to meet in person suddenly were unwilling to meet in person on the record. And I heard that maybe that had something to do with be a, a fear that was put into them about not getting their last paychecks and not getting reimbursements. Again, it's just, it's just one side of the story. It's those employees' side. This is the private equity group's side, right? So this is their WARN Act. Dear employee, as you know, for financial reasons and due to failure to obtain continued funding, Falcon Transport Company must cease operations. Unfortunately, as a result... The operations at 423 Langdon Road, where you were employed by Falcon, are closing, and your position is expected to be eliminated, resulting in the loss of your employment. 
Falcon currently has ceased operating as a going concern and is slowly engaged in attempting to liquidate its assets. Your separation is expected to occur on or about April 27th, 2019. What day was that? Was that Saturday? Uh, the 27th was, yeah. uh, that would have been... Maybe me, that's why this was backdated. Look I'm on my calendar here. Backdated. That would have been Saturday, correct. But uh, to be clear, an employee, uh, the reporter, literally just sent me a message like right before we started recording saying that she couldn't find the Warren Act and now it's on the website today, Yeah, I, I May mean, the, 2nd. So it's unclear to me. Maybe they dated it and sent it and the mail is slow between Ohio and Texas. Well, no, I, don't know. I, I mean... The way I received it was a, a carbon copy of an email. Like someone forwarded me the email that they got, and I mean those have dates on them, and it was May first. Even like this, though this is backdated. It's kind of like when I know, and, and again, not allegations, but like I remember when I was younger. Sometimes you'd try to pay a bill with a check, and like you wouldn't want to get charged a late fee, so you kind of backdate it a little bit. So when you know the company received it, maybe they uh, like oh, it must have been lost fee. in the mail. Yeah. So okay, so your loss of employment is expected to be pen. Your loss of employment is expected to be penitent. There are no applicable bumping rights. We have not been able to give you 60 days of notice because of unforeseen business circumstances relating to material impairment of operations and the inability to realize on outstanding receivables, including, without limitation, issues associated with Falcon's largest customer closing several operations. I'd imagine that would be GM, right? Right. New work awarded by customers not materializing. So is that like sale guys? Sales guys saying that, uh, oh, I landed this account. Uh, give me my bonus. And uh, well, it never, that was never finalized. Whatever that means. Um, what else do we have here? Falcon's large customer, word of the, the effects of a ransomware attack. Oh man, and Alice, this is where it got interesting, but it says the effects of a ransomware attack on the company's AR system. Lending sources and vendors suddenly decide not to advance funds and to demand payment and other funding issues. And B, the failure of Falcon's attempts to raise additional capital, which attempts would have been impaired by sending of notices. So they're saying that if they sent out a Warren Act, it would have impaired their ability to get funding. So therefore, they don't have to send. I'm not really sure if that's a proper defense for a Warren Act. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, LST- what, they're, what they're saying is... Um, uh, no one's going to invest in them if they send out a Warren, right? Well, what they're saying is they, they couldn't have known that all these, these this house of cards would collapse all at once, right? So they're saying, you know, taken in, they obviously, we, we knew in 2018 that this GM plant was going to shut down. Yeah. Now, everybody in business, they like their job, right? Or they like, they like the money from the job, at least. So you start figuring out where you're going to get more business. And that's uh, uh, what they're talking about, what they're trying to find new sales gigs, which apparently didn't come true. Meanwhile, we have this ransomware attack, which I know nothing about, but it, it's, it sounds horrendous. And of course, that could mean they also talk about, well, we couldn't get our accounts payable in, right? Yeah. So they were owed money and weren't able to collect. So once you're, if you're running a, um, you know, the, the right person to talk about this is not me, Craig Fuller, but but from, um, from what I have been told by people who have run trucking companies, sometimes you run pretty close to the margins, right? So you may not have, you might you might not have a lot of cash on hand at a time that it might be nice to have cash on hand. And if you go a day, two days, three days, and you can't collect what people are supposed to be paying you, yeah. that's 
that's that you're out of cash, man. And when you're out of cash, how are you, you got to make payroll? It's a Friday. You've got new license plate renewals coming up, whatever. I mean, uh, that's it. That's, that's game over. And depending on how fast, if you go to your owner's counterpoint and you say, Hey, we just need a little bit of more cash to, uh, to help get us through this rough patch. And they say, no, what else are you going to do? I mean, that's, there's, there's nothing to do. So I think that's what they're saying is we could not have known that all of these bad things would happen at once. Now, well, that's, um, our story does point out that this wasn't the first, uh, the first hint that maybe not everything was, uh, was going very well for them. It may not have even been the first ransomware attack. There's supposedly a ransomware attack that occurred a couple of years ago that held the company up over three Bitcoin. Three Bitcoin. I mean, they were, the, granted, Bitcoin was like $16,000 at the time for Bitcoin, but you know, you're talking about what forty eight thousand or so dollars, uh, and it, it ended up in a two week shutdown for for the company. Oh my gosh! And um, well, and, and according to that same employee, uh, that sort that's you know top level management employee who was telling me this, it um, not only did it result in the shutdown in in two weeks, but be- right before that, they had fired their IT department. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, like, oh, was this was this when they were relocating them to Columbia? Well, I, I I don't know if you decided to use the Colombian uh, IT. I don't know if they have the same fiber speed as uh, we have with EBP over there. I don't know if they got the gig down in uh, Colombia. But um, so here's we. So they say there's no warning signs, and so we hear this ransomware attack before. We hear this ransomware attack that happened near the beginning of the year. So this was January, February. The ransomware attack happened, and when we look at this Warren Act, right, the Warren what they what they have written, you have 60 days. So it does seem like there were a lot of start stops during this where they could have been like, I don't think we can make 60 day payrolls. Here is an email I received from a former sales professional of theirs. He said that around March, there were, no e- there, there were emails of no more unapproved travel, no IT purchases, and electricity at the Hutchins, Texas terminal was actually shut off for another two weeks. I don't know what it is with two weeks in this company, but that happened again. All warning signs, but now they're saying it was a last-minute decision for counterpoint to say no more money. So they were trying to hoard cash. I mean, this is something I've been at, I've been at companies where they say, "Hey, uh, don't use the printer anymore." And you're like, "Why?" And they're like, "Yeah, we don't want to pay the uh, the the they call them click charges every time somebody every time somebody prints a page. That's like uh, twenty five cents or something like that." Well, sure. and if you've got five hundred companies printing, so you and when that starts happening, it's like. Ugh, maybe maybe think about maybe think about printing one more thing and having that be your resume. Yeah, and he, you know, and he goes on to say he kind of echoes what you just said. He says, from a sales standpoint, we were told that they were going to give additional unprofitable business back to GM, and we need to work hard at finding replacement business. So they decided to cut themselves even more. So you're you're already losing margin on GM, but I imagine they wanted to keep the volume going in the relationship, even though it was clearly not good for business. You got to have those full trucks to carry you through until you can get profitable business. And then he says, I think Falcon was giving fictitious sales forecast to CP. CP would be counterpoint, and then counterpoint came back wanting backup to the projections they promised. And I think that's maybe when the S hit the fan. He's saying this was around March. Yeah, private equity guys, I mean, just to, uh, if you don't know what that is, um, I've, I've seen a couple of these deals, and uh, they, 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 they can go south very quickly. Because here's what happens. When you buy something as a private equity person, you are not actually buying it. Right, you are putting up some of your own money, but then you are getting an enormous loan that you actually that that debt goes on to the company you're buying. So it's not you, the owner, who's paying the debt. You load the company that you're buying down with debt to finance you buying it. Does that make sense? So it's like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, buy 
Microsoft and I've got five million dollars, five billion dollars, whatever it is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get fifty billion dollars from banks and Microsoft is gonna own that owe that money back to the bank, not me. Uh, the way that works is you you try to find a company that's reasonably consistently profitable where it can pay down the interest and everything, and then when you sell the company. Now I've got my five billion plus the fifty billion that I now own free and clear, and I can make all that that entire debt load. I can make that back, so it's it can be enormously profitable if the company has consistent, predictable profits. If you can if you can make it be profitable. On the other hand, it goes south really fast because a if you need cash. It's hard to get. Have you ever noticed if you already have a home loan, it's really hard to get another one because you already you're already loaded up sure. with debt, right? Yeah, or Banks, credit card. Yeah, they won't even talk to you. They're like, no. So imagine being a company that's loaded down with however much debt it was, let's say thirty million, um, and uh, and going and saying, oh, I need some more. They're going to say, well, wait a second, how are you doing on your current debt payments? Well, we can't make those. That's why we're coming to you. Okay, well, how am I going to get any assurances that I'm going to be paid back then, right? And so it quickly goes south. If you cannot, if you can't, if, if you, the same thing happened with Univision. The same thing happened here in town with Incentium. Incentium uh, lost its biggest customer, AT&T, and that was it. Game over, man. Yeah, well, let me tell you something here, because what you're saying, especially now that we're talking about private equity forms and, and them coming into transportation, and I know Craig is very passionate about this too, but... This is a very difficult beast. I mean, uh, transportation is its own unique animal. They don't really teach this at business school. I mean, you look at a lot of the people who run these things, they're multi-generational. And uh, I mean, that might change too, because a lot of things emerge in this story. But one thing here, so we mentioned the private equity. They come in, they don't know anything about transportation. They just think it's a good idea to invest, right? And uh, well, it turns out that the two guys, some of the guys who put the deal together, one of them... He was trying to tell them that what they were doing was going in the wrong direction, especially with some of this GM stuff. And uh, they fired him with <laughs> a newborn and a one-year-old. Didn't like hearing that opposing viewpoint, I guess. I guess not. I mean, So he was offering a counterpoint, and they didn't appreciate exactly, it? Is that what you're again, saying? Again, another pun, man. There's a lot of irony in this story. And you know, it doesn't just come to private equity, which, which is bad. But if we look at a lot of these, especially some of these legacy companies, they're on really old legacy systems. They're oh, yeah. running an AS400 system at, at Falcon, which is a very old, like, DOS-based system, you know, where you're, you're hitting the F keys. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, .exe, your, your CD, CD slash, open the directory that you, yeah, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, you make I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, oh, that's right, yeah, I used to do, I, that, was, that was me growing up. You know, and it's funny, and we see it, we hear this, though, like, we hear this theme, and it's something that we always advocate at things like transparency, is that it's a very changing business, it's a rapidly changing business, we're now... People have caught wind of us. Groups are coming in trying to buy market share. We're looking at, at you know, like Maersk, for example, coming in and buying brokerages and becoming more 360 and taking more control of that, getting into the carrier space. We're seeing what Amazon just did with their freight. We're seeing what, like, the big infusion that Flexport got from Google. So a lot of these, a lot of these SoftBank, I think. Was it SoftBank that, that did there? But yeah. aren't they owned? Are they part of uh, Google's equity group? They're out in Asia. SoftBank is, uh, they're big, they're big, like, Japanese bank, I believe. Well, I mean, what we're but seeing- anyway, but they've got a lot of money and they do invest in things. And you're and you're absolutely right. Freight tech is so hot right now. It's everybody is looking for deals. They're circling, and what they're looking for is what I just. You're going to have some deals where it's VC 
money where they're 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 buying equity and they're giving you cash because companies uh, need cash to grow. Uh, a lot of tech firms are like that, emerging firms. Uh, you're going to have people who want to buy uh, a stake or they want to buy uh, buy it outright. And you're also going to have the private equity guys who are going to come in and uh, do a leverage buyout where they you know they they load it up with debt and you better be. Better be darn sure that your company has enough uh, earnings after tax, you know, before taxes and insurance and everything are taken out to pay down that debt, or it gets very hard very quickly to stay in business. But, you know, there, there's a countdown to extinction going on in this, and I hear I've heard dinosaurs speak at conferences quite often, and they they always say this: this is their defense for not upgrading their technology is this is a business about relationships. If is if somehow that is some armor against having to provide better customer service or modern customer service. And you know why this is important, Ellis? Because we work in a low-margin field, right? Transportation, especially with huge accounts. It's a volume game. So you need to be able to scale, right? You need to be able to move as many of those goods as possible to make any money and have anything done. So if you're running, right, if everything's manual and you're running an AS400 system and everything's fax machines, nothing's digital, you can't really build out to compete to the needs of a GM. So, you know, GMs at fault there for picking a bad partner that was using systems that weren't there, but at the same time... They have these executives there who they know they're just going to be there for two years. It's easy to keep the partner you already have, and then you can blame everything on them. You say, well, you know what? They did that, but let's not get rid of them because, you know, they're a good straw man. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's what's clear to me is that Falcon uh, was was struggling. I mean, if they're on old computer systems like that, that tells me they were never that profitable in the first place, um, which is why they, you know, had to sell off the company because it, you know, they, they, it's, it's hard to keep up. There are certain economies of scale. I mean, as, as we're seeing more and more consolidation in transportation, and the more, let's just take the dispatch office, right? Um, the more, if you have a dispatch office for you know twenty trucks, um, you do have to grow it a little bit if you want to do two hundred trucks or two thousand trucks. But if, but you can centrally, there's certain economies of scale. You only need one accounting system. You only need one HR system. And these huge companies are able to essentially make more money because they are able to spread the cost of all these housekeeping functions across a lot more trucks. Yeah. Right. And so it's getting harder and harder to compete against that. The mom and pops are. Uh, and truckload, there's, uh, you know, they may not even have any money to 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 do the capital investments they need to keep up. Whereas, meanwhile, if you're a, a Schneider or a JB Hunt or a Covenant or a US Express, you're on top of your game as far as technology. I mean, for goodness' sake, US Express and I believe Covenant had ELD devices uh, long, long before we were even talking about ELD devices. Now they were different from the ones we're using today, but I mean, that's just they were always upgrading their technology because they had the scale to do so and the foresight to do so. So, and it's just harder when you're small, and it's going to get more difficult. Well, and that was the irony because, like, the story was like it wasn't GM going out of business that put, was going to put them out of business. It was GM being in business that almost put them out of business because the mismanagement of taking low margin, losing money, and trying to act at volume. You can't act at volume if you're if you're, if you're losing money, right? Because then you're losing money at volume. You're losing more money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, David David Parker told a good anecdote uh, when Covenant Solutions opened up here in town. Uh, the other day, which is, you know, they were they were bringing in a ton of revenue, right? A ton of revenue, 
um, but their expense was even higher. And so yeah. they were losing, they were, they were paying basically more and more and more to get this business. And so he came in and shrunk the revenue, and everybody says, oh, what are you doing? Well, we had to get profitable, because it doesn't matter if we're doing all this business and we have all this revenue coming in if we're hemorrhaging money. What matters is we've got enough profits so we can invest for the future, so we can give our employees raises, so we can buy new technology. And he said it in sort of a self-deprecating way, oh, I shrunk the company. But that was the right thing to do in that case, right? So shrink the company back to where you've got not just business, but good business. Yeah, I mean, agreed. And, you know, it seems like, and the story that emerged, so, you know, the GM wasn't really necessarily at fault here, um, and maybe it was a good thing to to separate from them. And really what it was is that supply chain is a very rapidly changing business right now. Younger people are getting involved. They're putting in digitized systems. They're, they're getting, they're able to scale and they're picking up market share. And a lot of the mid-sized carriers are going to fall for book of business and for fleet and for drivers, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think, look, here's what I'm, here's what I'm really taking away from this is that a couple of things. One, it's hard to be small. It's just, and it's getting harder. Well, and have a big partner like that. Yeah. You know, if you and want to do the, GM, you got to be like XPO. You're the little fish. You're a little fish in a big pond. You know, yeah, G, GM is going to, especially right now, uh, this year, this is not a, a not a good time to be a small carrier dealing with a large oh, shipper. Alice, can you, like, so if you go, I, I got to interject this here because there's the unions over there, right? And the unions are almost abandoned, but they have signs up. Like, if you are driving a foreign car, you must park in the back lot. But then I'm at the bar. I went to that dive bar and I was talking to some of the guys over there and they're like, I wish a foreign company would come in here because at least they know how to treat people. You would never hear Americans. Like, remember there was like pride in burning cars in like the 80s? Like the, the Japanese cars coming in and people were so angry about let, it? Let me tell you something interesting. So I just bought a Chrysler Pacifica. Sure. Uh, American made, yeah. right? Engineered in Detroit, it yeah. says on the, on, the, on the tag. And then in little bitty print below that, it says uh, uh, it's finished in, uh, in Windsor, uh, Canada. Wow. Uh, And then I looked and I said, well, that's interesting. It's curious. I looked at the Honda uh, Odyssey and the Toyota Sienna Sienna that I decided not to get, both made in the USA. The Japanese Japanese automobiles made in the USA, the United States, Detroit-based Chrysler, you know, uh, made in Canada. And so it's really – that whole distinction has gone away, I think, largely. You know, we have a Volkswagen plant here in Chattanooga. There's a Mercedes plant in Alabama, a BMW plant in Spartanburg. Uh, I think there's a Kia plant uh, somewhere thereabouts. There's a Nissan plant uh, west of us in, in Tennessee. All foreign automakers all making their cars right here in the good old U.S. of A. And largely what we hear is great place to work. Yeah, you know, and this was like a heated story. And like we're saying is all of these are their allegations. They're, they're, they're quotes from employees. We're not really sure because you never know what the full story is. We don't have access to their books. Well, that's going to come out in court. But the theme, and when you don't hear a lot of contradictions, though, a certain theme comes out. And, um, I mean, the ones from operations was a little bit different than the ones from the C-suite that I talked to, because the C-suite has a little bit more insight into the capital deal. But one thing that really emerged was the Warren Act they sent out, it seems like this company knew there was a lot of trouble long before 60 days ago. And they would have had plenty of time to, to alert people and at least get them on their feet. Because a lot of the people I met, and I want to talk about them for a second, too. Because they are great people and they don't deserve to have like some sort of fear put into them by some equity group that already screwed their lives. Like, you've done enough. And these people went radio silent, too, by the way. They, they, they shut down their website, right? Uh, they, they're not responding on, 
on LinkedIn. I think they shut down their Twitter. Um, so you can't get a hold of them. You can't, and I understand too. Look, and we couldn't talk to them, and I want to make that clear. We have not spoken to them, and this is probably going to get legal. And I'll tell you why. Because this is an emerging story. And I was, you know, I was reverting things back on Slack on the editorial channel here at every stop I made when I was flying home. I had a layover in uh, Charlotte, and I was getting as much information back to you guys as I can. We came upon a depot, information about a depot that was over there. Because now we're looking for shippers freight too. We're like, where is that all pinging at? And it turns out it's all across the country. It's at a huge depot in Nashville. It's down in Hutchins, Texas over there. Not so much over in in Youngstown. So it seems like a lot of those operations were already starting to get down to Texas. And a lot of the business was going down there. Maybe because it's a little closer to Columbia? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe so. I mean, I think, I think you know, certainly... I don't want anybody to hear this and think, uh, oh yeah, Ellis, he's a private equity guy. That that ain't it. Uh, I I have my certainly have my doubts about whether private equity is the uh, the right tool for for many situations. But if I were those guys and I had failed to file a timely Warren Act, or maybe they didn't, it just got lost in the mail. Who knows? Um, and all this has been happening and there's allegations of whatever, you know, we've talked about today and things that we probably haven't talked about uh, until we can substantiate them. Yeah. But I would probably not be saying anything either because as you pointed out, there's already been a lawsuit filed. I mean, uh, yeah. and, and it's probably not the last one. And so you just let your lawyers do the talking is what I'd be telling these guys if I were their advisor, you know, at this point until all this gets sorted out. Unfortunately, because whether or not it was prudent or right or appropriate to wait until the last second and then just send everybody a mass text message saying, eh, sorry, game over. <laughs> um, you know, probably did they have some idea before that? I think it'd be hard not to. I mean, yeah. I think, I think, I think the, what would be fair to them, though, I want to be fair to them, is when the GM plant closed down, they obviously had other business. Yeah. They obviously had other business, or they would have shut down within a week, right? Sure. Um, but well, it, here's the, but it, but they, but they were they were trying. So they were saying, well, look, we got other business. Let's try to get more of it. It just didn't work. And these guys, look. Private, nobody wants to watch their entire investment go up in smoke. Sure, the banks are the ones who are really going to lose out uh, on this uh, the most, uh, and the employees. In terms of money, though, the private equity guys put some money in, but the banks put more. But they don't want to watch their whole investment go up in smoke. They would have loved for it to work, uh, but it didn't. And one thing that I want to point out is uh, how much uh, – or I guess ask you, how much freight management experience would you say this team had that took the place over? Well, the, the, the legacy team that was there, the, the guys who um, were forced to toe the line, they had been there. They'd been there for years. There were people there for thirty years, twenty years. But the guys who took it over, they had zero experience. And um, I don't know Chris Bizarre. I've never met him, but it seems like maybe he didn't understand Falcon Transport and he didn't know what he was getting into. He was way in over his head. He may not have dealt with private equity either. But then, then when I when I finally landed, the last thing I was following up before I got in here was. And, uh, and again, you, you, people listening are probably like, why the hell is Dooner so reserved? Like, this guy was going off on social media. Well, I had a talk with my editor, and we have to protect our sources, and I have to protect myself, and I have to protect freight waves a little bit. So this is our raw report. We want to confirm a little bit more stuff before we, before we can say it. So we're just telling you the here, and it's not hearsay. I mean, these are all confirmed. We have everything recorded. We have, uh, we have the audio, and we have the, uh, we, we, we have the email. So the sources are verified. And, and this is more just a protection thing because this is early on in the stage and things that were coming out were, were really, really serious allegations. One of them was that they started borrowing money from places you really can't borrow money from. And when you go out to carriers, right? 
And again, allegedly, when you go out to carriers, you have to pay an X amount of insurance, right? Right. For those cars. So what was happening was, according to a C-level source, that money was actually being taken, but then not being used to purchase the insurance. The insurance was canceled, and instead it was just being pocketed as revenue. Oops. That is some pretty serious stuff. That's 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 not good. If that's if that's true, of course, that's that's fairly serious. And it's way over my head. So we need like lawyers to come in and, and, and kind of look at that stuff. And, and people and other people have to worry about that before we can really go on record or claim this is any type of fact other than a secondhand source that we have heard. And, you know, I, I think the I think the wrap up on this is we're coming up on uh, on an hour uh, of of talking about this, and 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 I don't want anybody to think that this is the last they'll hear about this. This is the raw report. We, this is the uh, right off the plane, right? Hit the ground running. This is a yeah. This is a this is a brain dump uh, just to kind of get some impressions, some sights, some sounds, some smells, uh, and and just some conversations that happened there, and some some different things that happened, uh, and we're and we're told to you. Matt, we will certainly follow this up. Uh, I know Clarissa had uh, a couple of things that um, that didn't make it into this story that uh, that we've got on the website uh, as of this moment. Uh, they are going to go into another story, and then there'll probably be another story after that because it's not. This is not. Uh, yes, we understand why this happened at at, a, at, a, at some level, at a macro level. I mean, there was there was there was some degree of mismanagement. These guys, you know, had their biggest customer uh, basically shut down a enormous uh, plant. Um, and they were unable to, to to get other business, but the way it was shut down, I think, is fairly unprecedented. Typically, this happens. You see the writing on the wall. You do a merger. You sell your company to somebody else, or you sell the assets. You do an orderly wind down to sort of shut down in the middle of doing business. That's why we're talking about this to strand drivers on the road with no fuel card. Uh, with a load of God knows what in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, thousands of miles from home, uh, that's something that we don't see very often. And I think it does, you know, why are we getting into the details on this? Why are we obsessing about this? I think because it's important that that this not happen. And it you know, turned this out is... to be, Ellis, it turned out to be a really deep rabbit hole. And I think that too, I think that a lot of times some of these companies come in and they look at it and they're like, okay, these are these are just numbers on a spreadsheet. So I wanted to go out and see what those numbers looked like in person. I wanted to see the flesh and blood behind those numbers and how they were really affected. Because, like, we're all Americans here, and we've seen some of the stuff that's been happening. And I mean, this isn't workers versus corporations. This is just mismanagement versus mismanagement. And there was mismanagement within the company from a family level to mismanagement from an equity level. So it's not, it's not good or bad. It's just, like, one situation. You tell one lie, it leads to another. You tell two lies, oh, brother. You know, the, the, do you remember the old Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints commercial? <laughs> a Mormon commercial? But it's bad, man. And, but we're going to sort it out. And we're, we'll do a more produced version of this with some of the, some more of the information we've put in. We'll have maybe some of our experts come in who know a little bit more about the legal side. But Ellis really wanted to, and then myself, really just kind of wanted to get out what was going on sort of behind the scenes. And, uh, and we, I guess, get out there that now there's a media outlet out here that if something happens like this to... To drivers who are in the industry, a big story. We're more than willing to go there and find out the story behind the story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's they were just operating too close to the line, too close to the margin. They flew too close to the sun. Take whatever metaphor you want. And when you're operating uh, that thin of a margin with that much debt and that closure of your largest customer hanging over you, uh, you need to be at the top of your game, not not picking out furniture. And yeah. I think, and I think that uh, that we we, we kind of saw the the effect of that, and and we'll we'll find out more. Well, obviously, you know, we're going to see a lot of Falcon employees, uh, former Falcon employees, 
going forward, the, you know, there was incredible. I don't know that we've touched on enough the, outreach, the, right? the, the, the incredible the outreach. Uh, one of the things that um, uh, that that I loved uh, is that there are um, there were I saw even in response to some of your posts, there were people reaching out and saying, "Hey, look, the first twenty guys to or or, or gals to respond to this uh, are hired. Like, there's yeah. no no catch. Well, and they'll pay the yeah. last one's paycheck. Yeah, we'll pay your paycheck. You're on board. They're uh, going to make people whole again, which is really cool. And as I mentioned too, carriers of all sides, people who are typically rivals. You know, this is bigger than who's pulling what load. It's 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 not about logos on things because you know we're all transportation professionals. And I think many of us at one point or another have lost a job in this field and we all have families and we know how hard it can be. And this is an industry that's kind of always been in the shadows. And that's what this transparency that we bring is all about. And that's what democratizing things for us is all about to to make freight a little bit more mainstream, to shine a light on really what goes on, you know, behind the scenes and the real people behind it. Because we move America and you people do. All the guys behind the trucks, all the, the girls and gals in operations dispatching Without us, you don't have a shirt on your back, and you don't get you don't get sneakers on your feet. I think I think maybe the most telling quote uh, in this story is perhaps the last one, um, which is this is uh, in the story that uh, that that um, Tim and Clarissa collaborated on, which is this is going to take years to sort all this out. Um, there's going to be depositions. There's going to be uh, court cases. There's going to be recriminations. And meanwhile. Uh, certain, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to try to put as much distance between themselves and this disaster as they can. And and one thing, one thing that we will do is we'll we'll hold everybody accountable, and we'll we'll take care of. Uh, obviously, we'll shine a light on those who are doing good, and and those who are, are doing not so good. You know, we'll we'll shine a light on that too. That's sort of the the freight waves way. Uh, so I'm looking forward well, to. Well, Ellis, too. I'll be on. Um, I'll be on Sirius Radio this weekend, right? I'll be a guest on. Uh, it's Road Dog Trucking. What time does that come on? That is. Uh, th- well, it comes on at three, I believe. Three. It's three to five, so it's a two-hour show. So it'll be uh, yes, Freight Waves Radio. And maybe I'll be able to come at that with a little bit different perspective. You kind of heard the raw here. Um, we were going to do a what the truck, but you know. It didn't necessarily seem appropriate to really start banging the cowbell just yet. Um, we'll, we'll get that back together, too. This, we just got to get the special report out. Listen to the radio show. We'll probably have more details emerge by then, too, and can give a little bit more insight. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for following us. And thank you for making this almost like a social media event where people, like people, like real people are back on their feet. Real people who would not have a job this quick. And that, yes, it had a little bit to do with us with initiating it, but it goes nowhere if all these people didn't share it and do that outreach and it was, uh, to me, it seemed like none of them really were trying to get anything special out of it. It was just like, we have openings. We want to help people. So we'll outreach you. We don't care what our brand name is next to. Right, Ellis? That's that's the story, man. That's the story. So thank you so much, Tim, for uh, – I just want to praise Tim uh, for basically going to an unknown location, hopping in a rental car, going to a, uh, a motel of perhaps ill repute, and, uh, and really – Going balls to the wall to to get a lot of bits and pieces of this story that have that have started to help us put together a picture of what really happened. So we're gonna we're gonna keep doing that. We're gonna we're gonna carry the torch, and uh, we hope you'll come along on the journey with us as we try to figure out um, and really untangle this mess. Yeah, Th- thanks, Alice, for uh, sending me on that assignment. It was uh, it was an adventure. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to uh, this special report from Freight Waves. Uh, We'll have uh, What the Truck back very shortly and more such special reports in the future. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.